big, noisy fly. Wow, really ready to get going. Hello, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. It is June the 7th. I'm Kyle Rosdahl. Thanks for joining us on this What Do You Want to Know Wednesday question and answer time. As you know, if you've got a question you would like us to answer or just a comment or, you know, anything else you want to say to us, uh, leave us a voicemail, 508-UB-SMART, 508-UB-SMART. Email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. That works too. Okay. First question of the day. Let's hear it. Hey, folks. This is William from Houston. Could you make me smart on the difference in a skip versus a pause? from the Fed, that is, um, mm. isn't it functionally the same thing, right? The interest rate's not changing. So why are we differentiating between the two? Thanks. Mm, really yeah. good question. You want this one or am I doing this one? You go ahead. Okay. Uh, they are, in fact, not the same thing. So you've heard a lot of um, Fed speakers, by which I mean members of the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors and presidents of the regional Fed banks, talking in the last 10 days, two weeks, about whether they think it's time for a pause or maybe they might skip. And here's the difference. a pa- Now, to be clear, this is all tea leaf reading on the part of observers about what the Fed really means, because that's the way it works. It's a little Kremlinology. But a pause is broadly taken to mean the Federal Reserve is going to pause interest rates for some period of time. Maybe it'll be one month, two months, a year, who knows. A skip is being taken to imply that the Federal Reserve will skip this upcoming meeting, June 13, 14, suck in a little more data, and then the next meeting will be, this is with air quotes, live. That mm-hmm. is, that's a relic of the Janet Yellen years, right? That that next meeting would be the one where they would say, okay, maybe we'll go up or down again or skip again. But a skip is a defined this meeting only. Pause is a generally interpreted to be longer period of time. And- that's the whole student match. This just really (laughs) highlights how the exact words that Mm -hmm. Fed officials say Mm -hmm. get interpreted and hashed out and projected. And, you know, you've talked often about how, like, Alan Greenspan was, you know, obtuse on purpose. (laughs) But uh, Powell has tried, uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell has tried to be very clear, but when everyone is hanging on the nuances of every single word like this, you still have to be careful. Oh, yeah, totally. And it's really amusing, actually. When the Fed comes, so the Fed comes out uh, uh, at the end of its two-day meetings on a Wednesday at 11 o'clock LA time, 2 o'clock in uh, Washington, and they issue a statement, literally a written statement about uh, how it's feeling. And it's very, very... Um, uh, uh, verbose and bloated, and it's just very Fed speaky. But what print journalists will do is they will take that statement and compare it and do a line by line comparison and annotate it and put it on their websites and tell you literally specifically which words have changed. <laughs> and and therein lies great meaning, and that's the way the Fed communicates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next question. It's an email from Jake, and here's what Jake says. What is BRICS currency? Will it affect the value of the U.S. dollar? And if so, what would happen if it replaced the dollar as the world's reserve currency? Good question. I will take it. Uh, so right now, the idea of a BRICS common currency is just an idea. So what is BRICS? BRICS is an acronym that stands for Brazil, Russia, China, India, and China, and South Africa. You may remember back in the day, it used to be just the BRIC countries, but they added South Africa, what, in like 2010? Yes, 2010. Mm -hmm. Uh, Goldman Sachs economist Jim O'Neill coined the term BRIC in 2001 
when they were talking about investing in these countries as a strategy, because all these countries had strong economic growth at the time, and this economist was predicting that they would eventually dominate the global economy. And so the group became pretty trendy with investors. And you could find a lot of like brick mutual funds where you were considered Mm -hmm. to be investing in developing economies and anticipate, you know, a really high rate of growth if you wanted to diversify, say, your retirement portfolio and you wanted, you know, because these countries were experiencing really wild growth at the time. And then in 2006, these countries started meeting formally to coordinate because they were kind of in the same place in terms of economic development. And since then, they've set up a development bank to support their economic stability and try to move away from dependence on the U.S. dollar. Plus, there are a lot of other countries that want more global influence and want to be a part of this club and sort of be moving along at this rate. Saudi Arabia wants to join. Iran wants to join BRICS. But then, you know, you'd have to update the acronym. So I don't know how that's going to work. Well, actually, no, the I is in there. So I guess you just add add another I and another S. Anywho, um, (laughs) it's interesting. China is really the only one that's kind of maintained that growth Mm -hmm. in in a meaningful way. But anyhow, there has been talk of common currency between BRICS members that could rival the dollar. But there's a lot of challenges to make that happen. You know, one of them being that these countries are in vastly different parts of the world. Um, But also experts say the group lacks shared political and economic interests other than not wanting to be reliant on the dollar. And that would make agreeing on a central bank location, physical physical location, very difficult, not to mention policy. As hard as it is for the Fed to decide whether or not to raise interest rates for one country, imagine if you're coordinating across all these different economies. So the hypothetical BRICS currency is unlikely to replace the U.S. dollar as a world reserve currency anytime soon, if it even becomes a thing. And as it stands, the dollar is still the most widely used currency for international goods, services, and financial markets, despite what many other countries in the world would wish and desire. Yeah, the dollar's going to stay for a while. And the BRICS currency is going to go nowhere. Full stop. Yeah. Uh, it just is. And who would they put on it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the fight over that? That's a really good question. Or they put That's the really globe... <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All right. Next question up. Uh, Here's what Judy in San Diego wants to know. Hi, smarter people. We're all smarter together. I keep hearing the Fed tools are blunt tools to control the Mm. economy. So can you explain what tools would be more precise? Hmm. Your favorite thing is is Mm. the Fed. You go. Yeah, so that's it's a good question because um, uh, it comes up a lot when we talk about the Fed, and Powell says it a lot. So the Fed has a tool. It has one tool to control the economy, and it is interest rates. It controls the cost of money in this economy because the interest rate that the Federal Open Market Committee controls, it's called the federal funds rate, is the foundational rate for everything. Okay, And right now it sits at about 5%. So if you've got a car loan, it's going to be the federal funds rate plus however much. Credit cards, federal funds rate plus however much. That's just kind of the way the interest rate system works. The problem, of course, there are two, well, there are many problems. There are two big ones. One is that monetary policy, apologies for the dog, (laughs) bonds, bye. I Bonds, mean, come here. Bonds come here. agrees that it's a problem. I, I know, right? Well, you notice Willow just came slurping out. I don't know if you can hear strong opinions up. about this topic. Bonsai, come here. Bonsai. Bonds. Come here. Here she comes. All right. So 
Did monetary he fell policy. Well, what? Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's right. So monetary policy. Uh, oh my God, Banzai, shut up. Uh. Hopefully we can cut all this out in the taping. All right. Oh, oh we got Willow's joining in. No, we gotta uh, leave it. Maybe it's like maybe it's like I don't even know. Uh, it could. I can't. I can't see the driveway from here. It must be like some Amazon person or something. Or, no, it's somebody coming in the house. Okay. You can tell because they run inside the doggy door. Okay. Anyway, so monetary policy works with a long and variable lag. Jay Powell says that all the time because Milton Friedman used to say it. Mm. Monetary policy, which is the raising and lowering of interest rates, takes a long time to trickle down through the economy. And so for that reason, it is not a very precise instrument. The second reason is that um, interest rates can only go so far. Yes, they're critical and yes, they're crucial, but there are so many other factors and the Fed can't really control those. So who can control some of the other factors? Well, the other branch of government, the other part of, because the Fed's not a branch of government, mm. so let me just be clear about that, right? Another part of government that has economic policy tools is the Congress of the United States and the executive branch, and they have what is called fiscal policy. They can create tax programs. They can create regulations. They can create tariffs and laws and rules about how to govern this economy, and those can be much more specific than simply saying money is going to cost more. If you just say broadly money's going to cost more, there's a lot that that impacts and there's a lot that it doesn't. If you can really narrow down in the tax code and say we are going to put a tax on belt buckles made of zinc alloy, well, that's going to change behavior. I don't know where that came from. That's going to change behavior in a really specific way. So that's the reason that Powell says we can only do so much, do so much. And he will say, and Bernanke said it and Yellen said it and Greenspan said it and everybody says it, fiscal policymakers have a role to play as well. The catch, of course, and here comes the Kai bashing Congress part of this podcast. The catch, of course, is that Congress really doesn't like to get down in the nitty gritty on this because it involves really hard choices, Mm -hmm. which are going to displease some people. And that's not what Congress likes to do. Yeah, and I think that the classic example of that is how vaguely some legislation gets written. You know, they leave the really painful nuances Mm -hmm. and decisions for regulators and and executive agencies. And so they get to claim the win, but not necessarily deal with the implementation. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Last question of the day comes from Marvin in Redondo Beach, just down the coastline. Here's what it says. I've noticed that across multiple public radio organizations, oh, that they're all requesting significant increases in listener contributions. What is the cause of this phenomenon? You go, Marvin. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, we just like asking for money. No, that's that's not it at all. So (laughs) for what it's worth, both of the NPR affiliated stations in Los Angeles near uh, where we are this message from near Marvin uh, are in the middle of fundraising campaigns, which, which there ought to be a law against, by the way. If your town has two public radio stations, they should take turns. I'm just saying not that I switch back and forth. At all. <laughs> Sorry. No, this is a, this is a good. No, generally stepping outside of public radio, the media industry overall is having a real tough time of things financially at the this particular moment. So just a couple of data points to support that. This year alone, media outlets like NPR, Vox, Insider have cut jobs. Today, the LA Times announced that it's going Mm -hmm. to cut over Mm -hmm. 10% of its staff due to financial challenges. And just yesterday, Spotify cut 200 jobs that were mostly in the podcasting department. I know 
folks over there who were very worried about whether they were going to get caught up in that. So a big part of why we're seeing all these cuts right now is has to do with a slump in ad sales. Lots of media companies depend on the revenue from ads. We call it underwriting around here uh, in the nonprofit world. And these <laughs> ad sales have been way down since last year because historically, the ad industry has been a pretty good indicator of trouble in the economy, which we seem to be having. And when times are tough for businesses, their advertising budgets are often the first thing to go. So if a business is either having a hard time currently or they think they're going to have a hard time or a rough quarter or whatever, they might pull back on their advertising because it's sort of the easiest thing to cut, much easier to cut than, say, you know, personnel. And on the other hand, some experts say that what is going on right now is a bit of a correction after ad spending boomed in the pandemic and, you know, sorry, in the economic recovery after the pandemic. So mm-hmm. there was a big cutback in ads during the worst of the pandemic. And then as the pandemic has eased up a bit, there's um, been a lot more ad spending because people have been very spending companies wanted people to spend with them. Uh, I will also say that there's a lot of talk about whether the media over ex- various media companies over expanded in particular areas. So within public radio, there's been talk for years about do we have too many podcasts? Have we overexpanded into podcasts? And the same thing with Spotify and Stitcher and Amazon and Apple and all of these different media companies launching hundreds of new podcasts. And there's a finite amount of listening time that humans have. And so a lot of media companies are really pulling back in the podcasting space because, you know, they had too many and couldn't afford to keep all of them. All of that said, if you've ever contributed to Marketplace and our little podcast over here, thank you so much because we are very grateful to not be caught up in this in the moment. And that really does only happen because of y'all support. It does indeed. It does indeed. That's the only way it works. We're done for today. Uh, We are off tomorrow because we're getting ready to go to uh, Seattle for our first live show. Uh, Special live edition of Make Me Smart up there. We hope to see those of you in the greater Pacific Northwest. If you're in Seattle, swing on by. Yeah. Until then, look out for an episode of Marketplace's newest podcast. It's for teens. And we're going to drop that in the feed. The podcast is called Financially Inclined. And even though it is for teens, there's good info in there for everyone. This week, it's going to be all about how the stock market works, the difference between stocks and Kai's favorite thing, bonds, and what to consider (laughs) when, you know, you're opening a retirement account and, you know, maybe as you keep your retirement account, hopefully, knock on wood, don't look at it every day. Anyhow, do be not, sure to check that out. <laughs> oh He's like, no. I'm done with you talking. <laughs> make Me Smart is produced. Well, it wasn't me. It was Jay. Jay's I know. Music, what I'm man. Saying. Me. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Berg. Sicker Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by the one, the only, J.C. Bold. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. Just me. Oh, you had, you had an extra, like, four seconds. You could have just, yeah. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. 
Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy.